Pastor Ed Taylor says, fight like you're a winner because you are in Jesus. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Very different. How would you feel if you jumped into the ring, you know, in one of those MMA matches or in a boxing match, and, and there was whisper in ear, you've already won this. What? Yeah, you already won this. It's already a done deal. And it's not a cheating or throwing. It's just like God's whispering in your ear, I know the end because I have foreknowledge. You've already won. You'd fight differently. You, you'd fight with confidence and encouragement. And even if you got knocked down, you go, whoa, whoa, I'm all dizzy. No, 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 the Lord said I won. Boom, I get right back up. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Some of us are known for a certain odor or fragrance, and hopefully it's a good one, huh? Many people come to expect you to wear a certain perfume or cologne, and they associate that smell with you. Well, today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that when we're living in victory, there's a spiritual fragrance that others can't miss. So what fragrance is coming from your life? Consider that with Pastor Ed Taylor as we open 2 Corinthians 2, and let's grab hold of the victorious Christian life that God wants for us. We'll begin with this psalm. Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Psalm David the psalmist understands the grace of God. Look what God has done. He has done marvelous things. And because he's done marvelous things in the past, believe me, friend, he will do marvelous things today and forevermore. The victory is yours. Turn over to Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, verse chapter 21. Grace, grace, grace. It's not Jesus giving us victory. Did you hear me? It's not Jesus giving us victory. It's rather he is our victory by his very presence in our lives, you overcome and can overcome. It's, I can almost hear your prayer life, oh, Lord, please give me victory. And the Lord says, I'm in you. What, what? I need victory over, and I'm in you. I just, no, I'm in you. Prayer answered, next. <laughs> of course, he's much more loving than that. Verse 31, chapter 21. It's another promise, isn't it? The horse is prepared for the day of battle, right? We have that responsibility in our lives. We prepare, we make preparations, but deliverance is always of the Lord. So what do we do? We read a verse like this and we go, well, I'm going to prepare my horse as best as I can. Well, whether you prepare the horse or not, the deliverance is always from the Lord. Deliverance always comes from him. Jesus said in John 16, Indeed, the hour is coming and has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't experience victory by fighting, but by faith. As we abide in Jesus and allow him to live his life through us, we live in victory. One more. Let me turn, turn over to 1 John chapter 5. So foundational. God is ready to release you. He is ready to reveal to you for the victory that's yours. To instill in you a heart of forgiveness. To instill in you a trust and a faith. That even in the midst of pain and sorrow and frustration and anger, God is able to reveal his victory in your life, whether you prepared the horse or not. You know, sometimes you don't have no time to prepare the horse. If we look at the verse like that, and if you're a works-oriented person, your emphasis is on the first part. Prepare the horses, prepare the horses, prepare the horses, prepare the horses. If you can, take care of the horses. Or in the modern day, the horse would be like the tank. You know, this is warfare, man. Put your spiritual armor on. How many times have you received spiritual counsel where a pastor or someone will tell you, make sure, you know, just think it through when you're getting dressed in the morning, put on your physical clothes and put on your spiritual clothes. That's good counsel. It's biblical. The Bible tells us to do it. And then what happens if you forget? Well, of course, physically put on your physical clothes, but you forget your spiritual clothes and you just don't notice. And bam, your salvation's being undermined. And bam, you don't have your belt of truth. And so, you know, because lies are coming, you're, you're not girded up and ready. And, and bam, you don't have the word of God. And you don't have the sword of the spirit. You don't have prayer. Your shoes aren't shod with the gospel of peace, so you're missing the opportunities. What happens then? Is victory, is deliverance not from the Lord? No, no, no. It is from the Lord. Is it wise to put on your spiritual armor? Yes, but deliverance is from the Lord. If you run out of the house and forget, deliverance is from the Lord. you got to get this. This is so foundational. This is so foundational. It'll change the way you look at life. Your, your vocabulary will change. A lot of you will stop saying this. You'll stop it. It'll end from your vocabulary. You'll stop saying, you know what I'm really struggling with and I've been struggling with for years. Let me give you the answer. Trust him. No, Ed, you don't understand. I've been struggling. No, I fully understand. Trust him. The victory is yours. Yeah, but this has been on my life. Yeah, I know. It's just been a bother, hasn't it? And it's been a cycle, hasn't it? The idea of struggling, it's, it speaks of a cycle. This is the cycle. You live in victory for a while, and then you present yourself back to sin again, and you become a slave to sin. And then there's consequences and condemnation that comes with sin. And so you start to feel those consequences of condemnation, and then you begin to feel distant from God. And then you have an awakening, a spiritual awakening. You forsake your sin. You repent, and you present yourself to God as a, a, the, a slave to righteousness. And what happens? You start living in the righteousness of Jesus, and you trust him. And it's glorious and it's great. And then the temptation comes again and you succumb to the temptation, which comes with what? More condemnation, more consequences. And you present yourself a slave to sin. What are you? A slave to sin. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. He repeated. The Holy Spirit repeated it for us. 
And then you go in that and you beat yourself up and then you feel distant from God and you deal with that and it, it's just like you're just so bummed out, you feel so distant from God and then there's an awakening because the Spirit of God's still in you. Remember where from where you have fallen, the Bible says to the church in Ephesus. Repent and repeat the first works. You hear that, you receive it, you come back. What happens? You present yourself to righteousness. And you become a slave of righteousness. And the condemnation is gone. And the consequences of sin have been forgiven. I know they kind of linger, but they've forgiven. And that's the cycle of your life. And you call that a struggle. And I call that a choice. That's what the Bible calls it. Yeah, but I've always been a mean person. Because you want to be a mean person. Well, I don't like you, Ed. Well, that's not my problem. Ed, I, if I don't want to be a mean person, I don't need to be a mean person. Right. Well, how's that going to happen? Because Jesus dwells in you, and the victory is already yours. I'll give you one little a practical thing that will go along with your trusting the Lord. If you're a mean person, try smiling more. <laughs> try to yell while you're smiling. You can't do it. It's impossible. Try to tell someone something mean-spirited when you're smiling. You can't do it. Now, don't test me on it. Just <laughs> trust me on it. I'm sure you can in some respects. But even the world, even our world, our society that's done studies say that smiling helps your disposition. Especially if you're just kind of a person that seems to be a little bit, well, a little bit on the side of perhaps being critical or angry. The victory is already yours, so now cooperate through obedience. That's what obedience is. Cooperate and watch God use you in great ways. You're just, through obedience, you're just enjoying the victory that's already been in you, always been a part of you. Like, isn't it amazing to you? We all go through episodes like this. I know I do, where I, I, really, don't, I really don't doubt the power of God to save me. But I have had seasons where I've doubted the power of God in other areas of my life. Where salvation, I trust. Because I know where I came from. I know what God has done in my life. I know, I know, I know. I see it. God, is, he's faithful. He can change a person from the inside out. But then some trial comes or some difficulty comes, and I'm shaken. I doubt. I can trust God for, like, the hugeness of salvation, and I have a hard time trusting him for the smallness of a bill or something, you know, whatever it might be that undermines your faith. Remember that the victory is yours. And here in 1 John 5, I ask you to turn there, right? Verse 4, this is so key. It's one of the keys of understanding the grace of God. You won't take credit for victory anymore. You'll give God the credit and the glory for his victory. For whatever is born of God overcomes, you might want to mark that, the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, even our works. Is that what it says? No, no, no it's not what it says in my Bible either. It's our faith. It really is a faith issue, isn't it? It really just becomes a faith issue. Trusting God at his word. Whoever's born of God, that's us, we're born again, overcomes. And this is that victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And he who that overcomes the world, 
Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then victory and overcoming by faith is yours. Take it. Take it. That's the, the long process here. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Very different. How would you feel if you jumped into the ring, you know, in one of those MMA matches or in a boxing match, and, and there was whisper in here, you've already won this. What? Yeah, you already won this. It's already a done deal. And it's not a cheating or throwing. It's just like God's whispering in your ear, I know the end because I have foreknowledge. You've already won. You'd fight differently. You, you'd fight with confidence and encouragement that even if you got knocked down, you go, whoa, whoa, I'm all dizzy. No, 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 the Lord said I won. Boom, I get right back up. Or my arms fell off. I only have one arm left, but God said I'm going to win. You know, I'm going to get in there. Go with my left arm. You, you know, all of the setbacks and all of the difficulties, all of the mind games, so much of the sports is all in the head. So much of that. The Lord said, no, you won. You have won. Get in, the, get in the ring and fight like a winner. You've already won. Just fight. Ah, it would change everything. We would see difficulties differently. We would see setbacks differently. We would understand that it's not the end. We're going to get up. We're not throwing in the towel. We're not going to walk away because victory is ours. We might be down in round one, and we might be down in round two, but in round three, we landed a good one, and it's over. They're like, man, what happened? You won, dude. You won. No way. I don't feel like I won. Well, feelings lie. You won. Here's a million bucks. I won. Yes. I won. I know we chuckle, and I know that life isn't that easy. I know that some of you right now are fighting for your lives. I want you to know it's not on you. It's not on you. You might want to go through John chapter 15 later today, tonight before you go to bed, or when you wake up for devos, if you're looking for something, and just allow the Lord to minister to you about what it means to abide in him. You'll see that word many times in John 15. Just remember what it means. It means to stay put or to hang out or to linger long, to abide in Jesus, to have your home in him. And so back in 2 Corinthians, we did a Bible study on that too. It's up on the web under Bible studies and John 15. Verse 14 now says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death, and to the other the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Part of the Roman parade we read earlier was this burning of incense. And the smell affected different people a different way. Same smell, but depending on what category of people you were, it affected you differently. If you were in the victorious side, it was very encouraging to you. You wanted more of it. It spoke of victory. It spoke of life. It spoke of opportunity. It spoke of expansion. To the triumphant soldiers, it spoke of life and victory and success. But to the defeated enemy, huh, it spoke of death. It smelt of defeat and failure. 
For Paul, the fragrance was like the knowledge of God. That's what he's describing it as, which people can smell. They can sense in our lives as the triumph of Jesus in others' lives is evident. When you see the triumph, when you, I'm certain in your mind right now, you can think of a few people that just respect, you respect and you watch their lives and they just seem, man, that's a victorious, that's a person that experiences victory on a regular basis. He doesn't have the kind of cycles I have. I know he's not perfect and I know she's not perfect, but the manner of her life is just victorious. It just seems there's just a steady victory in there. And if there are setbacks, they're just like, man, they're able to recover. They're able to grow from it. They're able to learn from it. It it becomes a testimony. It becomes a testimony of God's faithfulness. It's the fragrance of their life, the fragrance of victory, the fragrance of triumph. Well, to different people, it reflects different things. To believers, when you see somebody victorious, it just so blesses you. You just want to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. You're just so happy. You're just so happy that someone kicked a habit or, or someone left a relationship or, or someone landed a job or someone, whatever, whatever it might be. You're just like, yes, that's so good. I love to hear testimonies. I love to hear God is working in your life. But to the unbelievers, oh, I don't, I don't know about that God. I don't know. You know, every time I see the victory, but all you do is talk about Jesus. You say Jesus gave you the victory. And I don't really want anything to do with Jesus. And so the fragrance of your life is not very attractive to the unbeliever. They're not so happy you're victorious. There are people, unfortunately, that would like to see you fail, <laughs> see you stumble. To one group, the smell is of death to death, and the other group, it's life. The fragrance, it goes out to both. Paul sees believers, he sees us as incense, giving forth the fragrance of Jesus in our lives and labors unto the Lord. To God, the believer is a sweet fragrance of Jesus. To other believers, we're a fragrance of life, but to unbelievers, we're a fragrance of death. And just through this simple chapter, he looks at his life and he just sees at the end of verse 16, how can you not just look at your life and say, who is sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient? I mean, when it comes down to it, when you really get honest between you and the Lord and you assess your life, even from the knowledge that you have, and you look at the glorious abundance of God in your life, how can you not come to the conclusion, who's sufficient for this? Like, like where's my sufficiency? Where, how can I be? God, you know, your love melted me, but now your love just keeps me soft and usable. It's not my works that you're interested in, God. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not going praising me for my works. You're loving me by grace. The definition of grace is receiving something that you don't deserve, you can't earn, you don't merit. Who's sufficient for these things? When's the last time you just asked that about your life? I wasn't here. Uh, last week, I was teaching in another fellowship, but some of you knew that February 20th, 1991, was the evening that I got saved, that I was born again in a church just like this on a Wednesday night service. And that put me at 22 years of walking with the Lord. And so if God gives us another year and we're able to celebrate another February 20th in my life, 
then I will have, and I'm, I've kind of timed it because I think I got saved like at the end of service, and Pastor Jeff would teach you know, for a couple hours, so we'd be done about 9 o'clock, which would make that 10 o'clock here. I want to be right exact. I want to be right on the money. I'm going to be wide awake for that moment so that when the clock goes just one second longer, next year will be 23 years, and when I'm saved for 23 years and one second is going to be very significant for me because that will be the moment that I would have served Jesus longer than I was lost in the world. And I know we all have like kind of quirky, significant days, but for me, that's really important. I don't know why. I just look at it and go, man, of all the years I threw away, it will be just a glorious... I mean, I'm happy to be saved now, and i just blown away. I don't... Sufficient, I don't... It's just amazing what God has done and what he continues to do in my life and how faithful he is and all that. But man, to be saved just one second longer than I serve the world, who's sufficient for these things? I didn't deserve to be saved. I didn't deserve to have my life spared. I didn't deserve to have 22 years or a marriage that's rescued of, of absolute destruction. To be blessed with an ever-expanding family, both physically and spiritually, having no idea that God would teach me how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to be a friend, how to be a servant, how to be a worker. I was so messed up in my life that I didn't know any of those things, literally. And anything I learned about those things, I learned from the street, not a good place to learn those things. I was as raw as it could be. I'm still learning, by the way. Still learning at every phase of life, the new seasons of life. Learning by failure, learning by success. You see, when you look at your life, whatever the work God's doing in your life, it could just simply be, as you look at your life, you look back at your family tree, which is kind of cool, for those of you that can do that, and you say, man, my heritage has been believers from way back when. And you're like, who's sufficient? Who deserves that? Who's sufficient for that? God, you're so good. You put me in this family. I, I, I avoided so much pain and sorrow. I hear these testimonies and I'm like, man, God, I'm glad you saved them. But I'm also glad I didn't experience that. Wow, so good. Who's sufficient for these things? We're not peddling the word of God. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not trying to take the advantage of you through the word of God. I'm just sharing my life with you. I'm just sharing my life. It's just an open book. Paul's overwhelmed. I mean, we're going to get the answer in the next chapter if you like to read ahead. We're not going to go there now. But he says, verse 5 of chapter 3, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Again, this is a definition of grace. Not sufficient of ourselves to think anything is being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is what? From God. That's where God has made us sufficient. He has worked in our lives and continues to work. And he works out sincerity. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us twisting the word for our own gain. He wants us to live in sincerity from God so that when we speak, we speak in the sight of God. And this is so important for you, those of you that take the word of God in hand to share and encourage and teach. Those that are leading a community group, those that are leading a marriage group, those that are leading singles, those that are teaching the kids, those that have a little Bible study at work, whatever you might be doing, sharing with a friend at school, we're not to corrupt the word of God. We're not to twist it to our own and manipulate it. It's God's word. It's to be used his way. And so the fragrance means to believers, you're going to be an encouragement. To unbelievers, you may not be so much of an encouragement, but you are a blessing to the Lord when you're faithful with the Word of God. 
What you heard today on Abounding Grace is part of Pastor Ed Taylor's series taken from the book of 2 Corinthians. Hear it again online at calvaryco.church. Look under sermons and then do a search for today's passage in 2 Corinthians. And you can also listen to Pastor Ed through our apps. Both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado apps will pop up when you search for Calvary Aurora. And we'd really like to hear from you this summer. It's helpful to know how these studies are impacting your life, and that would be a real encouragement to Pastor Ed and the team. And if you're in need of prayer, please leave your requests, too. There's a place to contact us at calvaryco.church by email or call 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is supported by listeners just like you, and we're extremely grateful for those that come alongside of us with either a one-time gift or ongoing support. We'd like to say thanks today for a gift of $25 or more by sending you the Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling by John Cruis. This is a handy reference tool for those times when someone comes to you with a problem or a question. You'll be able to open this guide and quickly find the scriptures that best relate to the issue they're dealing with. It's great for counselors, pastors, or really any Christian. So call us at 877-30-GRACE or visit us online at calvaryco.church. Put a bookmark where we left off in 2 Corinthians and come back next time when we'll continue the study with Pastor Ed Taylor. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.